six months in, everyone knew about, you know, that we come from Syria and, you know, everyone pretty much know everyone is scared that there was like a war there, but no one actually asked us about our story. Right? And um, they, everyone respected the privacy. And after six months, I think there was a time when Saad and I felt like it was time to open up a bit. Um, and yeah. talk about it. After six months, I think it was the first time we spoke about it, and then probably we never shut up again um, afterwards. <laughs> but um... <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Loud and Seeming confident the podcast for introverts extroverts and everyone in between i'm your host chelsea heaney and we have our first ever dual guests today i don't know if that's how you say that but whatever (laughs) my guests today are two good friends of mine in 2014 these brothers came to australia as refugees after having fled their home in syria since coming to australia they have given hundreds of talks sharing their story including having appeared on the project q a giving their own tedx talk and one of them was even in a buzzfeed article in 2017 they received the messages of peace hero award and last year they became australian citizens please welcome to the show omar ansad al kasab hi chelsea thanks thanks for having us thank you so much for being here how are you guys (laughs) yeah good good you that's good thank you Um, Now, I mentioned just there in the intro that you guys have appeared in a lot of different shows and news articles, and I think most people listening, in fact, probably most people in Australia have probably heard your names at some point, whether or not they realise it. And so I wanted to start with a question that I used to ask you guys a lot, quite jokingly, uh, which is, which one of you is more famous right now? Uh, I might have to answer this one. This one. Um, so I'd, I'd like to claim this, this, you know, um, the honor of being the famous one. Um, <laughs> no, I think up to like 2016, um, I'd say Omar um, was definitely more, more famous, more active. He was more involved, um, and he's he's still involved so much in the community and um in the media but uh you know after i i I was at that time just stuck in between my books and um trying to do well at my school my year 12 and i think that's when my 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 marks came back i became the more famous one and i think he was wasn't featured on fox news i was so i'd like to think i'm i'm the famous one He, he basically just came from the back and took all everything. Yeah, and just, just smashed, s- smashed me. So I was like, okay, oh, it's fine. What an Fair brother. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's what they do usually. Yeah. Hey, I'm a little sister, so. <laughs> <laughs> I will watch out then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my sister better watch out. Um, now, for those who haven't heard your story before. Are you able to tell us about your experience in Syria and and what brought you to Australia and how you came here? So, um, 
Yeah, so the, the war started in Syria as, as, a, as protest against the, the autocratic government of Syria in 2011. And as part of that, I was 17, I was um, young, very, um, you know, had a high, um, I was like, had a lot of liberal values and um, I was very idealistic and I had a dream of basically make a change in the country. And there was a lot of protests at the time and I, I joined them and protesting against the government. Um, and uh, that's basically what started the horse of war was the protest at the start. And uh, due to that, there was um, then the war happened and um, I was I was arrested and tortured and I was shot during that time. And um, my family also, um, we had to, f to leave our home and we started to move from a suburb to a suburb, um, just um, Flooding for safety. And when I was arrested, basically, that was uh, the, 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 basically, the, the, what pushed the decision of leaving the country outside um, after me being released. And um, that's how we made the journey. And that's the reason we made the journey um, yeah. outside of Syria and, you know, into Egypt and then Australia. Yeah. yeah. So, um, how did you guys specifically come to Australia? You had an, an uncle here, I believe. Yeah, so um, we weren't sure what, what, like where to go or when we left Syria. We were just trying to escape to safety and we did not think about anything other than just uh, making it over the border alive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I guess once we found this temporary safety, we start thinking about our, you know, um, how we're going to maintain that safety, especially since um, there's a chance of being deported back to Syria. And um, that was always uh, like a, a risk. And luckily, uh, my uncle here in Australia has been living here for 40 years. Mm. And he, you know, he... When he called, he called my father and he, you know, thank God that we, we fled safely. And he said, okay, what can I do for you? Can I send you money? Can I do anything? And my dad said, I don't want anything. I just want a homeland. Um, and that prompted my uncle to start looking through the immigration system here, through the visas, um, to see if he could bring his brother and give him what he wished for. Mm. safety in the homeland and yeah then he he contacted us again and he's told us there's this visa humanitarian visa uh with a, a first relative sponsor um he said that i can sponsor you to come here and we applied for the visa and it took us a year which is really fast you know, um, often when I when I tell my Aussie friends it took us a year, they kind of say, "What? Like this is so slow." But and uh, this is like in in the normal in the norms, this is really fast. People take six, you know, yeah. the average like between five, four and five years. Yeah. Uh, so we were very lucky, um, and yeah, we arrived in Melbourne in end of May. Um, if I recall correctly, of 2016, 16th of May. Okay, 16th of May. Here you go. <laughs> <Get up. laughs> yeah. 
And so during that year you were in Egypt. Um, Omar, you continued to study there and what was what was it like being in Egypt for that year? What you know, where were you staying and you know, in that sort of limbo between Syria and here? Yeah, um <laughs> Um it, it's very interesting you're saying the limbo between <laughs> between yeah. here and here because um Egypt was a very quite different country as well to how Syria and how Australia is. Like mm. Syria is different and Egypt is different and Australia is different. Like there, yeah. there isn't a lot of similarity. Probably the, the language and the, um, is shared between Syria and Egypt. Mm. Um, although if we try to copy the accent, we don't really do it very well. Um, <laughs> um, so uh, in Egypt, we lived there for 11 months and 14 days, basically. And um, there, my family lived in Cairo um, in a city um, called the 6th of October, which is known now as um, the smaller Damascus because a lot of Syrians live there. Mm-hmm. And um, I personally lived in a city called Ismail, which is on the Suez Canal, um, to continue my study there at university. So um, I was studying pharmacy um, there, which I didn't like any think about it and um, <laughs> hated every minute of it. I spent the whole time watching movies. Um, and um, yeah, but, and my family lived in Cairo. I think the key thing in there was that we faced that risk of being deported back to Syria because our passports, especially me and Saad, we were, I was 19, Saad was um, 16, 17 at the time, and the government there, the embassy, won't renew the passports uh, because we are in the age of military service. Yeah. And um, there were a couple of people who were sent back, and I know people who were sent back, and um, yeah, they just disappear there because they either have to be taken, put in the army to, you know, fight and um, kill yeah. or they probably wanted by the government or something like that and they yeah. disappear. No one knows about them. So I think that's a, the situation of living in Egypt. And I think that we had at the start of when we went there, we had that mentality of, oh, you know, and I think every Syrian who left um, had that, that mindset of, you know, the war in Syria will end soon and we're going to go two months at the start. Um, we used to call it a forced yeah. tourist. Um, but then we started probably the, the our life in Egypt with a forced tourist. And we realized that, you know, yeah. this is this is never tourism. This is we're not going to go back anymore. And um yeah, we started to look for more stability and, you know, safety and um, a homeland, as Saad mentioned before. So, yeah. 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 And when you came to Australia, you know, as you said, the big difference between, you know, Syria and Egypt, Egypt and, and Australia, how how did you find Australia when you first got here? Uh, well, so I, I was really excited about coming to Australia, like while I was in Egypt, especially like when we got the visa. Um, I s- 
kept having these fantasies in my head about how my life would be, about how Australia would look like, about, you know, all those different things. Um, you know, like having a girlfriend and all, you know, <laughs> all, all the classic stuff. Um, yeah, like going to school, all, all those things. And uh, I think that that kind of, made my last 10 days in Asia very memorable because I was always looking forward to it, you know, and I, I mentioned like I, I I used to hate, like in Egypt there is, the weather is, is awful in the summer and the mosquitoes <laughs> eat you alive. So, <laughs> like, you know, but that, I didn't mind that in the last 10 days because I was like so happy. Um, but then the kind of the reality hits when um, we arrived in Melbourne uh, especially in the airports, you know, you kind of get shocked that you don't know how to speak and um, you can't communicate. And, you know, I was 17 years old, so I, you know, it's like the, the first 17 years, years of someone's life, it's pretty the, the hardest probably because you're ignorant, you, you have to learn everything. Um, and then just now you're back from scratch, you know nothing, you don't know how to speak, you don't know how to communicate. Um, so that was very painful, but the, the city was really beautiful. Like the drive back, I remember the drive from the airport, um, like how how the, you know, the houses, the roads, the, everything was green. I, I really liked it from that yeah. side. Yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, I think Australia, what the first, the first, when we first landed, I think the language was definitely, as Saad mentioned, was was a key thing, was was a key difference. Like, um, remember, like talking to um, people when we at first arrived, and even some like my cousins don't really speak Arabic, so speaking in um, in English, and uh, my cousin's son um, said said I think he was he was. Two years old, and I told my mom, "We are, we are, we are language classmates because, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Like now we we learning, we learning with yes. each other. Um, because it's just like you don't really know the language. Um, and there was things that he was actually better at me in pronouncing in 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 that Australian accent. Yeah, even as well. I think that that was well, that was an interesting part. I think the second part about Australia is is with Although the, the like, I think every people always were, you know, supportive of anyone who tries uh, to speak the language. I think people appreciate that um, that this is a country built by immigrants and um, built on immigration, mm -hmm. and um, a lot of a lot a big portion of those immigrants who have arrived here over the time. They include people from a non-English speaking background, whether that, that's from Europe or you know the Middle East or Asia and other par other parts of the world. And people um, really always were supportive of those who try, even they if they make a mistake. And I always yeah. tell anyone who comes here, don't feel afraid to make mistakes, especially when you're speaking, because it just that's how you're gonna learn and people mm -hmm. aren't gonna be, you know, um, annoyed because you don't speak right uh, i yeah. remember everyone was telling me you 
he's speaking English, I don't speak Arabic, which was a bit more like making me feel comfortable mm. um, for people, um, you know, to correct me. And I always felt open for feedback on how I improve my pronunciation stuff. I think life in, 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 in Australia became because there was certainty when you arrive here. So you start to build based on that certainty. You start to build yeah. from, from, you know, uh, although it's, a, it's from scratch, but, you know, like you're going to go back to education and, you know, you don't really worry about your passport and your safety and stuff like that. You know that that's all behind you here and um, you just work on basically developing, growing, studying and building your life. I think I think that's a, that's a, something that was missing probably in Egypt because always you're worried about, oh, how do I how do I renew my passport and what yeah, if this happened and what if that happened and yeah. 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 Now you guys obviously, you know, we're talking about um language being a bit of a barrier when you first came here you guys learned english in the weirdest way possible can you please tell us how you guys <laughs> taught yourselves english yeah uh, so we learned english merely by watching the australian parliament um you weirdos <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing you know um most australians don't watch australian <laughs> parliament <laughs> yeah I, I think like why we're really interested is because we didn't have that in syria mm. uh we didn't have this like democratic system where you can question the government you can question <laughs> the prime minister or the president and you can swear at him you know with parliamentarian parliamentarian terms um, but, you know, and that, that's a big part of it. I think um, watching and enjoying the, the democratic process. Um, the second part of it as well is, you know, you always, you all, in life, you always want to learn from the best source, right? Um, so that's why we, we go to university. That's why we seek experts. And, you know, who is more expert at language and persuasive and you know um persuasive language than politicians so mm -hmm. um that's that's as well another good side of it and you just yeah and you, you learn swearing words yeah. that are that are you know <laughs> good you know they are like passive aggressive if you will that's what anyone does anytime they learn a new language is learn the swear words first. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And now, I, Saad, I don't think you're ever going to escape this, but you guys were on the project once and they were talking about how you learnt English watching Parliament and they asked you what the best word you, you learned on watching Parliament was. Now, Omar, what was your answer? I don't remember. There was like a lot of jargon words they used to throw. Um, I can remember you said sustainability. Sustainability, yeah. They always talked about you know sustainable budget, sustainable policy on climate change, sustainable uh, whatever. 
Uh, it, yeah. Sustainable was was a, was a key word in a key adjective in anything they used. Um, yeah, sad. That's a good answer. Very intelligent. Very good to put on national TV. Sad. <laughs> what did you say? Yeah, probably my answer is the weirder one. <laughs> um, <laughs> Mr. Speaker. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I, 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 like, I'm a guy who who likes to, like, repeat words. Um, and it's like, <laughs> funny. Uh, I still remember as well, when we were in Egypt and had the interview with the ambassador, uh, I asked my uncle, like, how do I embrace the ambassador? And he said, try to learn some English words and say them. So I learned, like, so I learned thanks, and I just kept telling him thanks, 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 <laughs> thanks. And the guy was called uh, Anthony. And he just started referring to me as the thanks guy. So I have this habit. And I find like in the parliament calling Mr. Speaker over and over. I'm like, this is so cool. You know, it's like the thanks mm. guy. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's, there's other words like order. That, that's a key also and another interesting word the the word they use a lot um yeah 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 <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep. um and speaking of learning english um can you tell us a bit about the dictionary that your dad has very special dictionary yeah so um oh you've got it right there with you i was studying i need the dictionary <laughs> <laughs> I have my great anatomy book here, my Steph. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the dictionary, of course. Yeah. You want to say? Okay? Yeah, the the dictionary is is a, is a really interesting story of um, my dad. We actually, I we didn't actually learn about it until like very late in our youth. Um, and I will tell you this story like we haven't said it before, but um, my dad uh, was in prison for 11 years um, from the age of 16 to the age of 27 and um, in one of the prison in, in one of the most dangerous prisons in the world which is basically a prison seven years in um, in a in a prison called Belmira prison it's it's like in the middle of the desert basically um, and then he was moved to another prison and he's seen a doctor for the first time the doctor asked him, what what could I do to help you? And um, the only thing he wanted was an, an English dictionary because he wanted to, to escape that harsh reality uh, that he was living through. And um, the, basically, the doctor, it was, it was uh, illegal to, to have an English dictionary there, especially in a, in a country that was, um, there was a lot of communism there and an English, uh, any English thing was being seen as a sign of a Western, um, basically, Western sign. And um, so what the doctor did, he smuggled the dictionary through um, through um, to the prison using, um, he put it in basically a medical bag and smuggled it into the prison and gave it to my dad. And my dad learned English inside the prison using that dictionary. And so when he was released, he took that dictionary with him. And then um, almost 20 years later, 
after that, um, after he married my mom and we all came and the war started in Syria, we fled and we went to Egypt and um, the dictionary, he took the dictionary with him and then I borrowed the dictionary in Egypt. I didn't know anything about that story of the dictionary at the time, yeah. like until after the war. And I took the dictionary with me to, in Egypt to my city, like to the city because I was studying at university and it was that all, all of the content were in English and I needed a dictionary. So um, then I lived there and I had that dictionary with me um, and then I wanted to move house but then I couldn't find a dictionary anymore. I don't know, I, like, I lost it somewhere oh, and no. my mom gave me a call and she was like, um, how was your move going and um, you know, have you backed everything? I was like, yeah, I've packed everything, and um, uh, but I lost the dictionary. I I, I can't even find it. I, I it's an old like the dictionary is very old because um like the the papers are very um you know brownish like yeah. yellow brownish color and um the cover is his that. The x-ray, the x-ray, because he used the x-ray as a cover to protect yeah. the dictionary and it's still there. So it's an old dictionary and I didn't know the significance of that dictionary at the time. And I was like, oh, it's a crap dictionary. I'll, I'll, don't worry, I will buy you a new yeah, one. She was like, yeah. never come home without the dictionary. <laughs> like, she's like, don't even bother, don't even bother come home without dictionary. I was like, what's, what's wrong? And he said... <laughs> Your dad got that dictionary out of the prison, out of the country, to Egypt, for you to come and lose it here. Yeah. And I started looking for it um, more. And then I knew about the dictionary, started losing for it. And I found it behind the fridge. Basically, I was frying chips <laughs> and the dictionary was with me. I put it on the top of the fridge. And then my, my basically, my housemate came and he was bringing... Um, fruit and he put it on the top of the fridge pushed the dictionary the dictionary fell behind yeah. the fridge and it was there and then that's how we knew about the story of the dictionary yeah and um yeah and um yeah it's a it's a very significant thing in 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 our family especially after we came here to an english uh speaking country yeah. because um my one of the reason my dad learned English inside the prison is in a hope if he was released he would probably flee but yeah 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 it's definitely um amazing to have it I would I like I normally take it to all my classes and I've used it to look up words um and you know like even my my pre-med exams those like six hours exams I, I take it to them um yeah I'd like to think of it more than just my lucky charm um you know I, I think about it as well it's it's something that like our fathers passed on to us yeah realizes his his resilience um in prison and his um tendency to seek hope and to seek um to be alive and mm. I, I think this is this that's yeah that's passed on to us and for us to pass it on to someone else. It, exactly. Um, and it, I think it symbolizes as well the importance of education in giving someone hope 
and the importance of education in someone's yeah. life. Um, I think I think that's that's what is important. Uh, I always think like anytime like at school or work or anything when when you have tough time to do something uh, or learn something, you think about you know there's this man who um, who have learned a whole language using a dictionary, a small dictionary like it's um, as big as um, a hand yeah. and and in a in one of the most dangerous prisons in the world with no teacher with nothing um and um yeah and he he learned that language and you know and he speaks it fluently and now um you know some sometimes people complain about you know very luxury stuff like you know getting late to school and that's why they didn't do their homework or something like that you know but it symbolizes that the importance of education importance in of persistency yeah in uh, chasing someone's education dreams yeah and i mean you guys are sort of out there helping to educate people as well because you you've given hundreds of talks about you know, yourself and your experiences and and Syria and when when did you give that first talk and what you know what made you do it you know if you can even remember that far back it must have been a while ago I think the first unofficial talk was mm-hmm. um Omar gave it in uh, a scout camp <laughs> back on East was it Easter holiday the Easter yeah, holiday camp? I think it was with yeah was with the crew we we um Saad and I joined was the, I there that group. yeah uh, <laughs> you probably so, don't know but <laughs> so, uh, yeah. yeah we joined I, I forgot to mention this to, to the people who are listening because uh Chelsea and um we met Chelsea um at the SCA at Rover uh, Cliff Core Rover crew and you know we joined we joined the scout movement after like three months of us being here in australia we were scouts yeah, you and haven't been here very long i remember meeting you i remember the first meeting you guys came to and you walked in with with paul and it was just like oh who's those guys with paul <laughs> and then yeah i mean we'll come back to the question i asked before because i did want to ask you guys about scouting because yeah. you did scouting in in syria as well which i know i didn't realize that you know, they even had scouting in Syria. I'm sure a lot of people didn't realize that as well. And and like you said, you you joined Cleve Cole very soon after you moved here. Do you think that like how did how did joining the Rover Crew help you sort of coming into Australia? And you know, we're all crazy as well in Cleve Cole. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so to, you know. Like joining this the scout movement here in Australia was a way for us to be back to normal life, to feel normal, to have friends, to interact with people, um, and yeah, um, pretty much our way back to, to a normal life, you know. Um, yeah. when, when like if you come here, when when we came here, when you know one aside from my uncle. Uh, who we realized, you know, he <laughs> um, didn't know many people either. So, 
Um, and so, like, you know, you guys in Cliff called Rover Crew, um, were like, you know, family to us, and you helped us with not just English, but um, with lo- with lots of different things, and you know, it just was amazing. You know, going back camping and doing the things that we used to do in Syria. Yeah. Yeah. I I personally think that um, we've been a bad influence on you because one of the guys in the crew, (laughs) Paul, um, used to say looking mint a lot. (laughs) And I literally saw one of you guys put hashtag mint on an Instagram post like probably two days ago. (laughs) Yeah, that's 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 me. Looking mint, though. Ah, And Did you would as well? I, say I I I like I like I like this hashtag looking mean. <laughs> I actually when I actually when I when I don't put it like I'll tell you a secret when once once I put a photo and I didn't put that hashtag and um a friend of mine um she's Syrian she sent me what is the looking mint hashtag like. <laughs> <laughs> So it's it's going international this this hashtag. <laughs> yeah. Um but uh yeah, it's um it it was it was but that's like that's not a bad <laughs> it's a bad influence, but it's a good influence at the same time. <laughs> um because because good influence, Yeah, um I think I think I think the key thing there is is you know, as I, I've said, in Australia, you realize it's you've got the certainty of what's coming forward and you start building. And one of the main things you want to build is you want to build your social life, right? And as a scouts in Syria, the first thing you go back to in Australia is, is scouts here, right? So um, we rocked up in the Cliff Call Rover Crew and we met, you know, um, we met all of you, like a lot of fantastic people, Um. um Told us a lot about, um, especially that we we kind of knew Australia in you after my 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 uncle's family, which was um you know a mixture of of um uh you know ethnicities in my uncle's family, or um but we knew more Australia in you as well in the team when you know you've got a crew of I don't know we were like above fifty people and it was very hard to memorize everyone's names and you know figure out what you guys talking about the start it was it was very hard and um still don't really understand what you guys talk about um but (laughs) um, definitely felt familiar familiar to scout in syria as well because you never know what's going on (laughs) just (laughs) you wait you listen yeah and yeah and after after like that helped a lot, us a lot with like you know going camps and you know we've been able to go to places we've never probably have had the chance to go to if we didn't go to scouts and um you know going back to your question around how did we first give the first talk I think after six months of joining the scouts um I think I think one one other thing which was very interesting which I actually a lot appreciate a lot about uh, the the people who were in the crew and a lot of people in the crew is six months in everyone knew about 
you know, that we come from Syria and, you know, everyone pretty much know everyone is scared that there was like a war there, but no one actually asked us about our story, right? And um, they, everyone respected the privacy. Um, um, and after six months, I think there was a time when Saad and I felt like it was time to open up a bit um, and yeah. talk about it. And I think it was in, in a camp where there was like all Probably around the fire. Once we were able to speak, <laughs> probably <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. That's true. That's true as well. <laughs> after six months, and you know, um, after six months, I think it was the first time we spoke about it, and then probably um, we never shut up again um, afterwards. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, so we spoke about it, and that was the first time. It was it was like not talk but it was we were just told the story it was we we're sitting around the fire I remember we we're eating um some snacks and um and the first talk we gave which was officially was the state of the state um the arab basically yeah so um we yeah the first talk we gave was at the state arab uh of scott victoria which was in 2015 so just end of 2015, um, that was the the first official talk. There were lots of, you know, scout leaders, um, you know, the chief commissioner of Scout Victoria and many parliamentarians, uh, federal and state parliamentarians, member of parliament. Um, and I still remember that talk very well um, because like it was, it was really scary because speaking to people in like in a different language that you're not um good at is one thing but standing up in there in front of audience and presenting is another um but definitely i was lucky because omar and i both gave the talk at, at the same time we i remember we received a standing ovation uh which was amazing um yeah. and then later that day one member of parliament mentioned us in the parliament and his speech and that was really amazing because you know you feeling feeling welcome in the community one thing and feeling that the you know the the house of the government says that you're welcome and yeah. is, is a it's a totally different thing so um that definitely kind of pushed us to to be even more open and to talk about what you know uh, our story and yeah yeah and I mean that went on to be like in 2016 you guys gave a TEDx talk up in Canberra where I am how did that come about you getting to to do that talk and and what was that like because I think it's a slightly different talk than than you normally give yeah um well so in 2016 I was in year 12 mm. um so the way the the TED talk came about is I think some someone nominated us to do the talk um, nominated us to, to TEDx to do the talk and I think this um, I'm not sure but I think it's um, a scout leader in Canberra. Yeah, yeah it was it was the scout it was the scout leader so there was a scout leader in in um, in uh, Canberra. Who contacted? Uh, I was I was across the communication because Saad is he wasn't across the all the, the communication. So a scout leader 
in Canberra contacted the scouts in Victoria uh, saying they've seen uh, the video that we've done at uh, the scouts with mm -hmm. the scout group yeah and they were interested like she was she nominated us to um, give that talk she was already a volunteer um, also within the TEDx Canberra family um, mm -hmm. uh, group and um, yeah that's how it ended up they contacted the scout Victoria and they were they asked us if we were interested and we were like yeah sure we'll do it um, yeah. Omar definitely was the the communicator there. I was too busy with my youth <laughs> that year. Yeah. So uh, he was he was he was preparing. He was sneakily preparing to become more famous. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> and, yeah. and even when he was when he became famous, I was his PR guy during that time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't well, run. Yeah, I don't run very often, but when I run, I sprint. That's how I like to say. <laughs> well, because I mean. One of the main reasons that, that Saad did uh, <laughs> sprint ahead is you were ducks at your school um, yeah. the end of year 12, um, which, you know, you didn't speak English a couple years before. So I think that's just really rude of you to uh, be that intelligent. It's just making the rest of us feel dumb and it's very rude of you. <laughs> I, I don't think about it as, like, intelligent. Um Oh, I, humble, I just, humble guy. I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely very intelligent, more intelligent than you. Um, uh, no, for real. I, I, I just had a goal and it was something that I want to do. And like, I'm a, I'm a person in nature um, that I dislike regrets. So the, the thought of, you know, moving along without completing my education, without taking this opportunity. Um, and that regret that might come in the future really kind of stung me. So I don't want that to happen. And that's why I tried to work really hard. I was also very determined to get into medicine because um, living through that period, which I call like a, the dark period in the war, with no hope, with nothing to look in for, not going to school, people are dying, everything that like eh, any nightmare that you probably watched on any movie, um, any Western or, you know, movie is, has have been there. Yeah. Um, and then there is this few, you know, few people who are helping the community, doctors who did not run away, who stuck and risked their lives. They, they became, you know, they, they've really touched my heart and I wanted to be like that and so that was another big source for me to, to do well in my education um also having having a mother who's always cared for education and who was always passionate about the idea that a community with <laughs> educated people would make for a much better community um and she took that at me <laughs> um, yeah yeah, so she, she gave me her passion for um, doing well. So yeah, and so uh, that all kind of um, made what we call a, a triple whammy um, in <laughs> medicine now. It's like all the effects add up to just make a, a big effect. And so in two years, I was able to study hard and um, learn English and just keep studying to, to dox my school. Yeah. Yeah. 
Why were you giggling so much there, Omar? <laughs> I think the 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 the, the, the probably the fourth thing was 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 the threat of being kicked out of the house if he doesn't go to medicine. Probably that's <laughs> that's that's a key incentive. <laughs> so you can't you can't make your mom angry. <laughs> exactly. I'm just no. I'm just kidding. Um, we've got a very democratic house here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, now with all like, obviously you guys have received a lot of attention. We've talked about that a lot. That obviously wasn't your intention, you know, when you came here and when you started talking about yourself. Are you guys used to that attention? You know, do you do you enjoy being able to use your platform to educate people? Are you used to it yet? So yeah. almost attention seeker, so he, he's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, think, I think I think um, when people know about you and when you have a platform and you have content, you have a story and you have passion to educate people, you can make a huge impact. And I think that's the mo- like that's what I love when about about giving talks about being in the media about everything we do um so that's a very like very good positive side to it um because you feel like you're making an impact and um but at the same time that attention uh, sometimes sometimes to what you do there's always like to anything you do there's always a bros and there's always cons right and um i think one of the cons is feeling that you're always exposed everyone knows everything about you i think that's a very um bad side um of of that you know and of that of that advocacy of that work you do and the other part is is the ability to juggle multiple competing priorities um you know your career um like your work your talks um what you're passionate about like all of that um being able to to do them in, you know, 12 hours a day. Uh, it, it, it sometimes can be very hard. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah. I think I think I think that that's a that, that's a key thing. And I think I'm glad we did a lot of talks about about that. And I I hope we have made an impact on 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 people because now, especially in this. In, in this time, like we, I hope that we, we've made people learn something that they were able to use uh, during this lockdown. There is yeah. a lot, a lot of similarities um, between uh, living in a war zone and living in a lockdown. It's, yeah. it's, of course, it's a difficult, uh, a, di- a different, different way, different scale. But there's a lot of things such as like you know fear. Like, you know, yeah. everyone is scared, you know, being like not being able to move freely around. That's a very key mm. similarity there, right? Yeah. Um, the overwhelmed healthcare system that Saad was talking about and what he wanted to do is, you know, yeah. as, as a medical doctor, right? Um, you see very, very similar um, parallel of, of like and views of, of um, you know, overwhelmed hospitals with a lot of COVID patients in the United States, very similar yeah. to a hospital of injured people 
during the war. It's like one of them actually, like one view I watched on TV gave me a bit of a flashback into that. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of that and ability of people to adapt and be resilient and, you know, use use that um, patient, like patience skills and resilience skills during this time is 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 critical and um you know through my through our talks we we always talk to people about our experience and the scale of it and you know people people were uh, you know especially who people who had it um very easy during their lives um where i hope they people were able to you know learn something and, and using during during this time you know uh, to help them mentally or to help them uh, during during this tough time. Um, yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I think when you when you, I, I think we're we're very privileged here in Australia, you know, our our numbers are a lot lower than they are in lots of other places in the world. So yeah. sort of when when you compare the war to COVID, I was like, but you know, but I I those parallels I do definitely yeah, I can understand how how those parallels yeah, are drawn. Yeah. You know, but you're like, you're the ones who've all, been through both, so yeah, it's, yeah. it's very it's very psychological as well. Like, yeah, um, you know, I, I I was my I've got a friend the other day. He um, we were we were chatting, and you know now in Victoria we've got like postcodes that are yeah. you know, locked and postcodes that are not, and you say this is you know. If you look at and there's like a police checkpoints and stuff like that, and it feels like it feels like a a war. It's invisible, but it feels like yeah. You know, I, I my friend like you know we're talking about uh, occupied COVID occupied areas and you know liberated yeah. areas from COVID. Yeah, it's just like it feels it feels like that. Um, yeah, it's definitely yeah. a bit different though. The checkpoints don't shoot, kill you, and they <laughs> torture yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Airplanes yeah. or tanks. Yeah. But, <laughs> but they they ask you where you're going, so they do still... ask. You. <laughs> and <laughs> they check where you live. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's quite it's quite uh, interesting. I think it's um, it's done for different reasons. This is done for the benefit of the yeah. community, and the other one was done against the community. Yeah. But uh, I think what I'm talking about is the, the psychological so, um, yeah. nature of people living through tough times yeah that makes sense yeah and um moving on to sort of something more recent that you guys have done last year you guys became Australian citizens which is very exciting congratulations we're happy to have you and um can you tell us a little bit about the the process of, of becoming Australian citizens um I might go for that one um so We've been now here for Australia for six years. Mm-hmm. Um, so the process of becoming an Australian citizen um, is thankfully not very complicated, but it's a bit long, longer, longer than I I, I wish that it was. Um, mm-hmm. So we were able to apply for uh, Australian Australian citizenship after four years of us uh, staying here um, yep. in Australia and. Uh, like any application, you know, there's lots of paperwork and uh, um, <laughs> lots of things to, to fill in, which, you know, is, is, is good. Um, we've done that and then there was 
a bit of wait, unfortunately, because uh, there was some some delays, you know, especially around around um, the elections and whatnot. And yeah, we had an interview, and and thankfully we we got our Australian citizenship in October of last year. Yeah. Yeah. Saad has got he 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 had got his Australian citizenship, I think four days before me, and he still still he still tells me that he is more Australian than I am. It is just. <laughs> I was trying to get him out of my country in the four days. <laughs> I was pushing. It was. He was telling me four days. I had. I had. Um, I for four days I was being bullied and being told to go back to where I come from. It was. It was very heartbreaking. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> On a, you know, on another <laughs> being Australian, it's it's about it's about the values and being Australian in the heart, not the time, you know. So yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> you, you can't think of it that way. Uh, well, so now we're getting close to the tail end here, but um, every episode I ask my guests a random question so it's a different question for each person nothing to do with anything we've talked about so my question for you guys what is the best flavor ice cream oh, well, mm. interesting question mm-hmm. I love ice cream it's a lot to consider <laughs> I would probably go for there's lots of lots of flavors <laughs> but there's one flavor at one place in Anglesey, <laughs> one <laughs> ice cream shop. It's the the chocolate orange flavor, orange. Chocolate. Oh, I think I've had that one. I assume you've had this on Surf Moot, which is yeah. a scouting yes, camp yes. down in Anglesey. I I had this flavor Very at a different ice cream, ice cream shop, and it did not taste the same as <laughs> the, that Anglesey shop. So my answer would be the orange chocolate flavor at that Anglesey. <laughs> Ice cream shop. Very specific. I uh, like it. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, mine is chocolate. I'm a very boring person. Just so. plain old chocolate. <laughs> plain chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just just plain plain chocolate. Yeah. I, I also like the ice cream at that that place. And just to to tell the audience, it, it, we don't really know that place. He's not our friend. Uh, we're not doing uh, marketing for them. We're not sponsored. <laughs> we're not sponsored. So if we're the not... Anglesey Ice Cream Shop do want to sponsor this podcast, I'm totally open to just... Could they send ice cream from Anglesey to Canberra? I don't know if that would work. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So yeah. uh, At the start, you asked who's the famous one. Yeah. Um, and I, I hope that the the question of who is the interesting one was answered by this question so <laughs> rude very rude <laughs> very rude uh, my final question for you guys which is something i ask everybody the podcast is called loud and seemingly confident because that's how i once described myself do you guys consider yourself do you consider yourself a confident person? I think he's loud. I'm seemingly confident. So. Perfect <laughs> <laughs> um, guest. Uh, you go. Huh. Uh, it's, a, it's a rough question um, to end it with. Yeah, I, could, yeah. 
confidence. Um, <laughs> either answer would sound as bad, so I might as well just mix no, it up. <laughs> I just think it's interesting to find out whether people do consider themselves confident because a lot of people, that's why it's called seemingly confident, is because a lot of people maybe look at somebody else and go, they look like a really confident person, but maybe they're not. And it's just really interesting to me to see if people find find themselves to be confident. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think like it's uh, it depends on the time and what I'm doing um, and how I'm feeling is when I find it like if I'm feeling confident in myself. I, I definitely feel confident in what I talk about and what I try to achieve, um, especially in public speaking and what my values are. But you know, there's other areas where sometimes I I don't feel as confident where, um, you know, and there's this concept in, in so I, I'm a medical, first year medical student, and um, there's this concept in medical field of not feeling like, I forgot what is this, it's a syndrome that they call it, um, but it, like almost every doctor or medical student feel it, they feel they're not good enough for that, for the job. or the Imposter not, syndrome? Imposter syndrome. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, they not. Yeah, they not. I should be in medical school. Uh, <laughs> so and I, I definitely like some. In some areas, I feel that way. You know, sometimes I I, I wake up and I feel like okay, I you know um, I don't feel confident in my ability to, to to do well or you know to sit that exam or um also things. So I I wouldn't answer. Yeah. I don't know how to. I, yeah, I think I think it depends on what you say you're confident at, right? Like, yeah. I think for for me and I think for Saad and you know for for so many people, yeah, people are confident in. Um, there, there's a saying um, in, for example, in public spe- in public speaking, confident is a key, right? Yeah. But to be able to be a good public speaker, you need be you need to be very confident. But to be able to be very confident, there's a rule. You need 90% of that confidence come from you knowing your content and what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. If you know that, if you know that, you're going to be confident. The, the other 10%, you can figure it out. And I, I think that's the key. Uh, so in, in the things I do, and I'm confident, for example, that I could learn anything I want. Like if I want to learn anything, but you choose to learn something and you choose to do something, you choose to put all your energy and skills and time to learn something, you become confident at. If you get me to do uh, something that I have no idea about, I'm not the sort of person who would fake confidence in there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I wouldn't fake confidence in everything that I know everything. No, no one knows everything. Right. Um, I think that's that's a key. But I'm confident that I could learn anything, and I'm confident in the things that I know, and I I'm confident that I'm, and I'm always. I think I think it comes from you always being happy to be challenged with 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 your knowledge, with your with everything, Mm -hmm. and any confident person wouldn't um, would would love that challenge always. Um, Yeah. So that was a more, more confident answer than mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, thank you guys so much for coming on the show and thank you everyone for listening. Please subscribe and leave a review. It really helps us get this heard by more people. You can follow me on Instagram at Chelsea J Heaney. That's H-E-A-N-E-Y. Or you can follow the podcast at Loud and Seemingly Confident on both Instagram and Facebook. Guys, where can people find out more information about you? Um, Twitter. My Twitter yeah. is Omar Alkasab. Um you could find uh, more information on, you can watch our TED Talk, at last free TEDx Canberra. Yeah, I will put a uh, link to that in the description. And you can look up Omar Al-Kassab and Saad al on Google. you find our Twitter. <laughs> so or many articles. Facebook or, I was going to yeah. say, you can't Google my name because I'm more famous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here's a question. Why do you guys... Your last name is Al Kasab, and one of you has a space between the L and the K, and one of you doesn't. Can you tell me why that is? Because I've always wondered. Oh, you, you never told me. I mean, me. you've probably told me, but I've forgotten. Oh, okay. It was basically because uh, the person who um, translated our names in the Syrian immigration for the passport from Arabic to English was was. A really good translator. <laughs> That's the reason, basically. And he had a, he had a very high attention to details as well. Yeah. Good. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. Thank you everyone for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. See you next time. Bye. <laughs>